Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, November 15th. We begin with a look at the federal COVID benefit program that has been in place for the past 20 months or so. We speak with a law professor from the University of Calgary who brings us shocking details from a new report which claims that billions of these CERB program dollars went into the hands of criminals. Next, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. We hear some stats on the disease and a first-hand account of how those who live with diabetes keep it under control from a very familiar voice, country musician George Canyon. Then it's another edition of Motivational Monday. We hear the personal and passionate story of Kelly Filardo, international speaker, author, and burn survivor. Kelly shares details of her journey and how she used positive self-talk to turn her life around and inspire others. And finally, it's a new local business generating a lot of buzz, quite literally. We meet Brianna Hallett, owner and creator of Queen Colony, a line of organic beauty and healthcare products. We asked Bri about how her business came to be and what it's like to have a working bee colony in her backyard. Did federal COVID benefits go to criminals? According to a new intelligence report, the answer is yes. With more information on how criminals seem to have knowingly and actively defrauded financial programs here in Canada through the COVID pandemic, we're joined this morning by Sana Ahmed, an assistant professor of law at the University of Calgary. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sue. Appreciate it. So when we talk about organized crime, what groups are being referred to here? Who's been uh, digging their fingers into the pot without it being appropriate? When we talk about organized crime, we are generally talking about those people who um, commit a variety of crimes for, you know, financial profit. So that would include the drug traffickers, the other organized crime groups, you know, you're thinking Hells Angels and people like that. So, yeah, those kind of people. Professor, I wonder if you can break it down for us, because, you know, I think that individuals who needed this would get their sum of money, and it wasn't a huge sum. So I'm thinking that this was a real team effort. So how did it work that they were able to get these funds, you know, illegally, if you will? To be honest, Andy, I think a lot of this is just, these are just crimes of opportunity. So they were bound to happen. There was going to be some picking out of the pot by organized crime networks, because if you remember, at the time that Ottawa announced these relief measures, and of course they were a huge fillip for the for the people who needed those kind of supports. But to be honest, I mean, even at that time, Ottawa said that we are not really going to be investigating fraud in these fraudulent claims within these kind of applications. And so I suppose for those of us who study white-collar crime, it was perhaps inevitable. And if you and it actually kind of corresponds with the kind of broad crime trends that we've seen during the pandemic as well. So, for example, I mean, you know, the typical kind of crimes that you see, um, break-ins and entering um, those kind of offenses, they've gone down by 16%. Sexual assault has gone down by 9%. And correspondingly, the huge increases have come in ID fraud and ID theft. Mm. So ID theft has gone up during the pandemic by about 52%. And this is the these are the figures and the data coming from Stats Canada. So I think a bunch of that was bound to happen because it's just, you know, free money available for the taking for some people. So, I mean, even if you look at the FinTrack report that talks about it, they recognize that the people who tapped into these sources of funding were, some of them were just individuals, some of them were scammers, 
And some of them were obviously criminals and criminal organizations. Now, the, the CRA tip line was flooded with thousands of calls about suspected cheats. I, I wonder if, you know, the average person was able to call about something like this that was uh, far more organized. But how much money are we talking about, Professor? How much money might have been drained from the, the programs that were being offered by the Canadian government? So, Sue, so that's very interesting, and I'm glad you asked that question, because if you look at the FinTrack report, it says that since January 2020 till about October this year, about 30,000 um, suspicious transaction reports were filed. And, of course, not all of these are, you know, completely fraudulent because the kind of, um, uh, the kind of uh, grounds for suspicion that they had were very loosely constructed. So, you know, price gouging, for example, was one of the things that, you know, admittedly, it's a terrible economic practice. Shouldn't happen, but it did happen. So we saw masks, um, N95 masks, retailing for far much, for far more than mm-hmm. they were worth, right? So um, there were a lot of transactions captured, but of that, the FinTrack said that about 1,500 suspicious transaction reports were related to the fraudulent um, activity that was going on. And so if you break that down, that comes to something like 5 or 6% of the total. So if we are talking about, you know, the $74 billion that Ottawa spent on, um, on these kind of uh, relief activities, then we are talking something like $4.4 billion. But, but that's also because we don't know the amount of STRs that were filed per sub-fraud, right? So between 4.4 billion to perhaps 4. Uh, perhaps 7.4 billion. I mean, that's about the most that we can look at. But obviously, FinTrack is not committing itself to numbers just as yet. Mm. Nevertheless, some big numbers being thrown around. Uh, thank you for the update. It, it's scary stuff, but uh, it's happened, and we appreciate you chronicling uh, how this did happen. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you. That is Sana Ahmed, an assistant professor of law at the University of Calgary. George Canyon, I got this for you because November marks National Diabetes Awareness Month and it is especially important this year. 2021 is actually the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin. Joining us now with his story is Canadian country music singer and type 1 diabetic himself, George Canyon. Hi, George. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, you guys. How are you? Excellent. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. I I know you were diagnosed at the age of 14. How would you Mm -hmm. say, George, things have changed from then to today? I mean, I know you're only slightly over 14, so it's just been a few years. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sue. Yeah, 51. 51 doesn't feel like 51. It feels like 25 some days. So, um, and that's because of the technology mm-hmm. uh, and the treatment of type one. You got to work hard. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know, candy coat this for all those uh, adults and kids listening that are type one. Um, you work hard at it, but the payoff is astronomically uh, rewarding, um, and that's why I do. That's why I take care of myself, and uh, I've got to be a pilot, and I've got to go all over the world with my career. And I don't think I could have done that uh, back when I was 14, the way we were conventionally treating diabetes um, back then. 
you know, I had to test my sugar oh, upwards of, well, six times a day if mom and dad could force me to. Wow. Um, but what I quickly learned is when I went on the road at the age of 18, 19, I, um, I kind of ignored my diabetes and, and uh, started to pay a price for it. And that was, that was when I quickly learned that you really have to take care of yourself. And technology has given me that ability now with insulin pump therapy and uh, constant glucose monitoring like my Dexcom G6. Uh, it's just an, it's an incredible change from when my grandmother was a type 1 diabetic, let's put it that way. You've seen this spectrum for like 30 years plus now, George, and obviously it doesn't, uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously you can tell different stories, but it doesn't slow you down these days with the technology, as you mentioned. But you, you cross the country, you pour yourself into your music and entertaining Canadians. So why did you feel it was important to, to share your story and, and to speak to those people in your similar situation? Why was it important to you? Well, when I was 14, Andy, I, di- I didn't have anyone. Um, nobody stood up as a celebrity of any in any status and said, uh, hey, I'm a type 1 diabetic and I take care of myself and, and I'm living my dreams. So because I wanted to be an Air Force pilot since I was a little boy, um, I drove mom and dad crazy over airplanes uh, growing up. And that dream was kind of stolen from me. I, I knew there was no way, my faith told me there was no way I was being teased with that. There was a reason for this happening. So I put my head down and I, I, I made myself a promise if I ever had a platform, I would use it. So for the last 20 years, I've been very blessed to get to, to meet with diabetic kids and their families um, all across North America and around the world and, and get to talk about our diabetes and controlling it and living your dreams. And sometimes if you don't get to see that as a kid, your doctors and your mom and dad can tell you everything they want to tell you, um, but you gotta, kind of got to see it to believe it sometimes, and that's where I figured I'm going to step up and do it. Can you hang on for two minutes while we do a couple of commercials and come back and chat some more? Oh, sure. Perfect, thank you. Back with country music artist and type 1 diabetic George Canyon in this National Diabetes Awareness Month. Thanks for joining us, George. My pleasure. Okay, so a question for you, because you mentioned it earlier. You talked about, you know, what happens, or or you mentioned that at one point you did ignore your diabetes. So mm-hmm. what, what happens to a type 1 diabetic who doesn't pay attention to something as important as this? Well, see, this is the, one of the biggest issues I have within our um, healthcare system, not just in Canada, but worldwide, is we we lump type 1 and type 2 into the same category. And there's so many differences. Um, I've talked to kids all around the world that have said, you know, oh, my friends say if I just eat right and, and, I, and I exercise, I won't have diabetes, so I'm just pretending and I'm, I want attention. And, and it breaks my heart because a type 1 diabetic, um, basically the islets of Langerham or your beta cells in your, in your pancreas, uh, stop making insulin. So without insulin, you, you know, I'm not going to say what happens, but the inevitable happens. Mm-hmm. So um, when you don't take care of yourself and you're not taking your insulin, you're not testing your sugar, your sugars are going all over the place. Um, they're, they're either dropping too low, they're going too high. Most times with type 1s that don't uh, really pay attention and take care of themselves, their sugars go high. And then the, the basically the organs suffer for that because there's so much sugar in the bloodstream, um, it's, it becomes very, it kind of coagulates, if you will, it gets thick. And so the water from your organs in your body has to flood the bloodstream to thin it out, and therefore that water is taken from the organs. And this, this you know what, I'm, I'm dumbing it down here, but yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so many things that go on. And to be brutally honest, you feel like poop. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to put it. It's like the flu times a thousand. It's really hard to describe uh, for me, because every type 1 is different, but for me when my sugars are really high, 
My legs are numb. I'm. You don't want to be around me. I'm a cranky so mule. You, you have to manage it. That's just. You the way have it is. to. Yeah. So um, when I was, you know, 19 on the road, I thought I was bulletproof, as a lot of 19-year-olds do. So I'd only test my sugar maybe two or three times a day. And what I quickly realized is that the tighter control I had, the better I felt. So really, it was up to me. And so I would, you know, there were times when I was testing up to 14 times a day when I was on tour. And that was just because I wanted to make certain I was as healthy as I could be, yeah. uh, not just for me, but for my family and for my sure. fans. You know, yeah. and obviously, you know, you're putting a voice that we all know and a face that we all know to type 1 diabetes. We appreciate your info there. We've got like uh, 60 seconds left, but we'd be remiss oh. if, we, if we didn't say, okay, George, what do you have coming up in uh, mm-hmm. the end of 2021 into 2022? A chance to plug, because I know people want to catch what you have on the go. Oh, man. I- I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could say what we have coming up. We had 20-some dates happening on a Christmas tour this year that we ended up getting a bunch of them canceled, and now we're down to four dates. And I just uh, pray that we uh, that we get through this, uh, in- entirely get through this COVID thing. Our industry is nowhere near through. Um, so I'm hoping next year holds, uh, holds a brighter future for us all, um, everyone in our industry, not just the artists, but everyone. And, um, yeah, I... <laughs> I have a, a book coming out next fall. My memoir is uh, coming out next fall with Simon Schuster, and uh, on top of that, we have some touring planned. But I hate to jinx it, you know. I'm one of the, I'm, a, I'm a superstitious Nova Scotian. <laughs> well, we want to see you back. Ha- we want to see you here in Calgary, George. So come back soon, as soon as you can get back on the road safely. Uh, can't wait to see you in concert again. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate it. GeorgeCanyon.com if you want to follow George, see what he's up to and when he'll be back in Calgary at GeorgeCanyon.com. It is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. Joining us this morning, Kelly Filardo, award-winning international speaker, best-selling author, strategist, and a burn survivor who literally just never quits. Good morning to you, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. So great to be here with you. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about self-love and you're going to motivate our listeners. When we talk self-love, though, you know how hard that can be sometimes. We all experiencing it. But tell us a little bit about your backstory. Well, you know, I got burnt as a two-year-old to 75% of my body. And so when I looked in the mirror, all I could see was my ugly scars. And I thought, yuck, who's going to love someone who is covered in scars? And especially because in grade five, I walked past my teacher's desk and saw a picture of someone had drawn of me. And it was a circle with scribbles all over it. And it said Scarface. So I knew that people were thinking I was the ugly Scarface girl. So I lived with my scars my whole life. Kelly, you're surrounded by it. You're seeing pictures like this. Excuse the term, but it would be very easy to just have a pity party and define yourself as, as somebody who's, who's been quote unquote damaged. What, what do you do to turn something like this around? Well, I still remember going into the mirror and, and I was like actually in my 40s when this happened. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done feeling like the ugly girl and I want to feel beautiful. And so what I did is I went in the mirror and I started to pick out the things I loved about myself. So I looked in the mirror and, and, and instead of saying, yuck, and I saw, I said, I love my big, beautiful green eyes. And, you know, that little voice in my head didn't say that negative thing. Right. And then I I looked at my nose and I thought, oh, my God, I love my cute little nose. And again, I didn't hear that negative voice. And then I looked at my my little ear and I thought, oh, my God, look at my cute little ear. (laughs) Um, And what was happening was I was learning to embrace myself. And so the next time I looked in the mirror, I saw all the things I loved about myself instead of my ugly scars. 
You know, we, we hear that term. It's a, I know you've said it before. I'll use it. Sorry, listeners. It's the, the itty bitty shitty committee in our head, right? That, that goes after you and we're terrible at criticizing ourselves. So, you know, it took a long time. You were in your forties, as you said, to really kind of love yourself. So it's really important, isn't it? That the inside and the outside have to kind of, you've got to be able to match what's going on inside. That's the most important really in the end, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's those voices that we're hearing. And a lot of times what happens is we actually learn that the mirror talks to us back when we're three, four, five years old and we watch the movie Snow White. And we see the evil queen talking to the mirror and the mirror talks back. And so when we hear those voices, we think it's the mirror that's actually talking to us. And it's not. It's just thoughts that we're making up in our head. And and that was when I thought, this is crazy. I don't need to think this way. I can think whatever way I want. Mm. So you took control of it. I'm wondering if you had outside help, Kelly, along your journey. Did you talk to psychologists? Did you have resources available to you? You know, I I wasn't big on that. I had mentors and teachers that I loved and I adored. And so I definitely talked to them. And, you know, when I ended up getting my divorce, then I ended up hiring coaches to help me. And that was when I realized that there was so much more to me than just what I looked like on the outside. And that people were actually thinking I was beautiful. It was just, it was my own negative thoughts that were making me feel ugly. People weren't coming up to me as an adult and saying, oh my God, you're so ugly. You know, the people were telling me how beautiful I was. And it was up to me to decide whether or not I wanted to accept those compliments or push them away. And that was when I realized, okay, I have to stop this. I have to start learning how to feel beautiful. And that means allowing people to compliment me. So let's talk about let's talk about some tips. I know you've got a few for our listeners. And so for anybody else out there who's dealing whatever their thing is that they have, and we've all got it. Give us some tips to help us love ourselves and that positive self-talk. Get that going. Well, one of the first tips that I would love to share with your audience is that to bring more joy in your life. Just like Marie Kondo talks about when you want to declutter your life, get rid of the things that don't bring you joy. The same thing as our own lives is do more things that bring you joy and happiness. Isn't it, uh, just to, to, before we get to your point number two, isn't that almost counterculture because we don't, we, we don't think we should strive for our self-happiness because we're concerned about taking care of others and it might be considered selfish. So how do you get past that? Well, the word selfish is actually another word for self-care. So when you're saying no to things, that's actually your way of caring for yourself. So being selfish is not a bad thing. And I remember my mom would call me selfish at times, and that that word hurt. But then when I realized that me saying no to things actually meant that I was caring for myself, that was actually a way of me loving myself more because I was being selfish and caring for myself more. Bring on tip number two for us, Kelly. Number two is to, um, <laughs> sorry, is to follow your dreams. A lot of times we're stuck in dead-end jobs and we're doing things we hate. Meanwhile, we want to be a horse trainer, but we're not. We're not doing it. We're stuck in an office job, which we hate. And so what I encourage people to do is follow your dreams. Do the things that you love to do. When I ended up quitting my dead-end job to be a speaker and share my message, I was bringing so much more joy and happiness and self-esteem to my life. And it made me feel great knowing that I was doing something that was making an impact on other people. And so I, I encourage people, follow your dreams. Your dreams are meant to be found, not tucked away in dreamland. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite the leap 
but but you've done it with success, so maybe we can you know take lessons from you, Kelly. So uh, we, before we run out of time, uh, tip number three would be what this morning? Tip number three would be learn to look in the mirror and love who you are. Pick out the things that you actually love about yourself instead of the things you hate about yourself. Like even this morning, I woke up and, and I'm not a morning person. So when I look in the mirror, I'm thinking, oh, my God, why am I awake right now? <laughs> but I taught myself how to go in the mirror and actually pick out the things I love about me. And that's what I encourage people to do. Go and pick out five things you love about you. And it could be internal things. It could be external things. But learn to pick those things that you love about yourself instead of focusing on the things you hate. That's the important message, isn't it? I mean, you can give yourself all the negative self-talk in the world and you'll believe it. You can also give yourself all the positive self-talk in the world and you'll believe it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole thing. I know when I was younger, I would look in the mirror and, I, and people would tell me, well, all you have to do, Kelly, is tell yourself how beautiful you are. And you'll eventually, if you say it enough, you'll believe it. And I didn't. Because I would look in the mirror and I would say, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. And that mirror would talk to me and say, no, you're not. You're covered in scars. Beautiful people don't have scars. You're not flawless. But that was why I changed my thinking around and said, okay, I'm going to pick out the things I love about me. I love my green eyes. I love my cute little nose. I love my hot little hot butt. <laughs> you know, I love that I, I, you know, have happy people in my life. Mm-hmm. Right? So... When I started picking those things out, that was when it's like, oh, my God, I'm an amazing person. I can love myself because I am beautiful and I am smart and I am um, successful. And when you pick out the things you love about yourself, that's when you can learn how to love yourself. Kelly, thanks so much for sharing your personal story this morning and, and your time with us. We appreciate it. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Kelly Filardo, award-winning international speaker, best-selling author, strategist, and a burn survivor who never quits, obviously. Online at kellyfilardo.com, and that is Kelly, F-A-L-A-R-D-E-A-U.com. Her name is Brianna Hallett, and she is my fabulous hairstylist, but she is also an entrepreneur officially launching her line of organic products today. Good morning, Brie. Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us. Tell us about, okay, this. so the line of products is called Queen Colony. Tell us how you kind of got to this point, because I know you're the proud keeper of beehives in your backyard, so that's the basis for all of these beautiful products, right? Well, yes, there is actually no honey in the product yet. I haven't been able to produce enough honey to do that. Um, but, of course, I sell the honey as part of the line as mm-hmm. well. And then all of the line is pretty much all organic, all natural. It's very good for the earth and good for your soul and your, you know, calming and balancing and all the things. I'm wondering, we can call you the Queen Bee or the Queen Bree behind this project. <laughs> the Queen Bree. So, <laughs> that was the name that we talked about. <laughs> okay. I like it. Right. So obviously, I've done my research, as you can tell. I'm just wondering, you know, because you, you work closely with these insects, mm-hmm. uh, how, can you dispel some myths? Because I think when you think, okay, someone's going to have these bees in their backyard doing their thing. Uh, tell us something in, to, to calm the nerves of those folks who don't like bees. Well, you know, bees don't really like humans all that much. They're really into the flowers, and they don't really bother us. They're about, you know, 50 yards away from our deck, and they're never on the deck. They really are, they kind of stick to their own thing. They have their jobs to do, and they just do that. And if you don't bother them, they won't bother you. 
Sounds reasonable to me. Let's talk about how dry it is in Alberta now. We're moving into the winter months. We've been wearing masks for a year and a half. We're concerned about germs. All those things are important when we look at the products that we're going to use, right? Absolutely. And that's a big part of the ingredients that I've chosen for the line. All of the essential oils, they're all antibacterial, antiviral, and then they also carry these aromatherapy benefits that really help to calm the mind and the nervous system. So you're getting kind of a double pack punch there with the product. Let's talk about the learning curve, not just with the products, but with the beekeeping. This must have been something that you uh, spent more than a couple of minutes on as far as researching and the process. You have to probably a lot of trial and error as well, right? Oh, trial and error is my favorite thing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Just try it and see what happens. Um, Yeah, it's the beekeeping has been a few years. So I've had I've been involved with hives for about four or five years. They moved to my yard in 2019. So since then, my partner Ryan and I have taken over the bees completely. Um, Of course, we have lots of support from our bee mentor, Elise Watson. She's from ABC Bees. But yeah, talk about a learning curve. Every season has been so different. I said to him this summer, I was like, it'd be nice if we could reuse some of the lessons we had Mm. instead of just collecting new lessons. So I'm sure we'll get to that point that we can reuse the lessons. But so far, we're just, it's so different every single season. Well, we're really into shopping local and, and you know, promoting businesses that are, are really sort of kickstarting and doing well in the province and particularly here in the city. So a great chance for people to shop local, get healing, organic, natural products. The website is queencolony.ca. Thanks for joining us, Bree. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Brianna Hallett, Bye-bye. owner and creator of the Queen Colony line. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.